Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I've got the pleasure of having Ray Leon here with me today. He is a giant in our industry. He's been in this game quite accidentally. Ray, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be aboard. Excellent. So uh, tell us how you got your start. An interesting background. I started in computer science. I worked for the Atomic Energy Commission at Princeton University. And then through, then I taught uh, scientists how to use Fortran and Algol. And that was kind of my path throughout my 20s. And my last job in, in IT was with RCA. And I had just been promoted on a Monday to Virginia Commonwealth University to head up the IT department down there and the installation of the RCA equipment. When RCA, nice. it was on Monday, and on Friday, RCA announced they were going out of the computer business. And 13,000 of us hit the street. Two of my coworkers committed suicide. And, and I was just engaged. Wow. I was getting engaged. And I said, oh, my goodness. And I made a dramatic change. Because I had had issues in pre previous years at different things where, you, where when companies changed directions, I said, uh, always at the mercy of what the other companies were doing or whatever else. So I decided to go into sales for job security. And every time I tell my audiences, that always gets a huge laugh because they figure that's the least secure job in the world. No, it's not. If you're really great at selling, it's the most secure job in the world because everyone needs you. Absolutely. So, luckily for me, the, I mean, you, luck does play a role in life. There's no question about it. The first job I get in mm -hmm. sales, my sales manager had his law degree from Harvard. So here we got a Harvard graduate in law and a, and a scientific programmer looking at the sales process totally differently than I believe anyone had ever looked at it before. And what we did is what I would that do. That makes sense. Well, we flow charted the process. So I wrote a flow chart just so I write a computer. Nice. And originally it was pretty doggone. When I look back, rudimentary, the first flow chart was warm up, qualify, present, close. They were the four boxes. Well, now there's 15. Right. And those 15 boxes have been scientifically tested to make sure they are in the exact proper order. And that I called the sales funnel. And I trademarked it before anybody ever heard the word sales funnel previously. It was before social media. So I own the trademark to the sales funnel. So half the people listening to this podcast probably have violated my trademark. It's like Kleenex. I mean, I, you, you know, if I fought it all the time, I'd be fighting it every day in court. So I also now have the trademark. You need Kleenex. I know. I know. I also have the, the trademark to whole brain selling. So, so that's how I ended up here. But the interesting oh, I like thing that. Is, well, that was well, the key is then I went from that was in the land business. And the land business, the my client again decided to shut down off site sales because my area, my ter my territory was the Pentagon. 
I was selling military officers right. land in El Paso, Texas. So when they shut down offsite sales, I'm on the street again. But it was different because now I had the sales skill. And I went into, and I got into this. It's a long story how I got into it, but I ended up selling swimming pools and became the number one swimming pool salesman in the world in 1979. And, wow. every, and everyone wanted to know how I did it. I'd go to conventions and give speeches on it. And I got standing ovations. I said, this is really great. I'm helping thousands and thousands of people to where we are today. Written a couple of books. I got success series of the sales funnels. The main one. I got a new one coming out called Sales Minutes for Sales Masters. I got another one that's in the works called Sales Funnel 2.0. And it's just been nice. a ride. I have licensees around the world that teach my system in different languages. So it's been a good ride. It's been a good ride. Brilliant. So let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, let's backtrack to RCA yeah. deciding... I'm not sure what the decision was. I'm not even sure you know what it was. But at that point, I'm not sure if they thought this computer thing ain't going to work out or it's not going to work out for us because it was smart and they had engineers and scientists. So I do did they know kick why. themselves later on? I do know why they did it. They, why did they do that? Well, and it, I mean, it was like an instantaneous decision. I mean, in the board meeting, they were having a board meeting and the CEO found out that the computer division was booking letters of intent as hard business. And he went uh. and he went ballistic. At that very time, they had invented some uh, computer methodology that was going to like collect data. It was uh, totally separate from manufacturing computers. And it was going to be like, it was a $500 million decision. Do we invest in this new technology and just get out of the computer manufacturing business? And that's what they did. And it was all because of that meeting when the CEO found out that they were booking letters of intent. Boom. Sales shenanigans. It was written up. You can probably go back and look it up. It was written up in Business Week as how not to go out of business. They announced they were going out of business, then tried to sell the division, (laughs) which is not too good of an idea. (laughs) <laughs> so that's how it no. happened. So, Ree, you've been in the sales business for a while. 50 years. Uh, <laughs> what's changed and what's remained the same? Because humans are humans. So what part has remained the same and what's changed? It's way more difficult, of course, to get to an economic buyer. They are being you know, bombarded with information and data and requests. I mean, so I read somewhere last week, that people go through 30 feet of information, 30 feet. That's a lot of information. So that's a big difference. And the consumer is more educated than they were before. That's the main things that are different. But what's the same is when you're sitting down in front of the other human being, they're still making decisions based on how it's going to impact their own personal career. That's, that's the reality. Yes. That humanness is still there. Yep, it is. Yep, it is. So you sit down with people and let's say uh, you've got a 20-minute meeting or a half-hour meeting. In the grand scheme of things, not that long a period of time, but trust is a critical element of people wanting to do business with you. So how do you ensure you have trust with your uh, prospect? Uh, That's a perfectly great question because just in the last year, Harvard did a study on that very fact. 
the first thing that people want to know in their own mind, this is a question they're asking themselves. Can I trust this person? That's their first mm-hmm. question. Second question they're asking themselves, can I respect this person? They're the first two questions. Six years study to come up with the answer to those two questions. That's what they're looking for. So you don't build trust by puking all over the client, by telling them how great you are and how wonderful what you've got. That's not how you build trust. So there, I have a very specific process that, that, that does that. That's like step one in my 15-step process is building trust. Step two in my process is building respect. Most people try to get respect first, and it destroys the trust. If I tell you how great I am and how wonderful, so- go ahead. So uh, we're going to go back to that in a minute. So tell me, what is the distinction between trust and respect? Because you can't respect someone you don't trust. So what's the linkage between the two and what's the distinction? You, you actually can do both. You can respect somebody you don't trust. <laughs> you can respect their ability to do a job. In fact, I had a contractor working on one of my homes. I respected his ability to build a great home. I didn't trust him around the corner. Right. So I would not let him do anything without a work order. But I knew he could do the work. So, right. But now, but certain personalities, like my wife, would never do business with anyone she couldn't trust. I'll do it as long as I know I can control the the parameters. So, but let me share with the audience because I think this is really important. 90% of sales training that when I go into an organization is in how to present the solution how to handle objections, and how to close. I find that almost ridiculous because none of those things ever sold a doggone thing. The sale is made before any of that. Well, that's how I, this is a process that I develop. But when I go into an organization, they're all focusing on those. In fact, my biggest client originally hired me for a three-hour program on how to use techniques of professional speakers to improve presentation skills. And they thought that was going to improve their closing knowledge. Listen, everybody, a presentation never sold anything. It loses deals, but it never wins them because audiences come into that meeting. That committee comes into that meeting with confirmation bias or cognitive dissonance, and they already have made up their mind and they're looking for you to support their preconceived belief. That's what they're looking for. So it's all the stuff you do beforehand that determines whether you win or lose. So my sales funnel has 15 steps, but there are three distinct phases, the research phase, education Mm -hmm. phase, and dream fulfillment phase. All sales skills. Let me repeat this. All sales skill is in the research phase prior to your presentation. So when I have 30 minutes. So walk me through a real customer you had and walk me through that 30 minutes of how you established it in the research. That way it will make it more real for people watching and listening. Well, let's let me take because everybody can relate to it. I'll take it back to the swimming pool business. This I created one question. It made me a millionaire. Would that? Would that? Would you like to have one question and know that that made you a millionaire? That's pretty good, isn't it? Of so course. I'd walk into your home, and typically, if you're going to spend twenty to a hundred thousand dollars on a swimming pool, you're calling typically three companies, and they're all legitimate companies. Yes. 
you know, they're all, you know, the, the, the big three are still the big three. And, but I've come in as a salesperson. And by the way, I didn't analyze this till a year or two later. So I was almost doing it by accident and then analyzing why it was so successful. So I come into your home, we sit down at the kitchen, we chat for a couple of minutes, and then we would walk out into the backyard. Walking out to the backyard, I'm a salesperson. Coming back into the house, I'm now your consultant. What happened from those five minutes out in the backyard was the key to my success. So here was my first question. So everybody listen to this. I want you to picture buying a swimming pool. We're in your backyard. And I say to you, well, where have you decided to put your primary and secondary focal point? And Omar, what would be your answer to that question? What's that? <laughs> That's exactly what everybody said. Everybody said that. And I would say, wait a minute. I'd go into what I almost call my Columbo routine. I'd act confused. I'd say, wait a minute. You're telling me that you've had people out here and they haven't told you where they were going to put it? <laughs> so the one question, your confidence that you thought you knew everything you needed to know and all you really wanted from me was how much I was going to charge you went out the window. So I, I then right, absolutely. So then I explained to him what it was, but I said the secondary issue you have to think about is where is the primary line of sight to the pool? So if I was talking to a, a husband and a wife and the wife is normally, the, you know, the homemaker, and I would say to her, where are you going to be most of the time looking at the pool? Because when pools are in a 45 degree angle to the line of sight, they're more proportional and pleasing to the eye. And since 95% of the time is spent looking at it, not in it, let's design the pool with those right. criteria in mind. So now we walk back to the house. So I'm now the consultant. So that transition took place between those couple of minutes. Well, I do the exact same thing in the corporate world. So is that 50%? So trust got built there when you gave them an insight. Absolutely. Trust got built on that insight. And then you went in as trusted advisor as opposed to sales guy. Yes. Well, then I, let me tell you, you want to really build trust? Back in the 70s, there was no law about how to build a spa attached to a pool. And at the time, there were 53 entrapments in spas where one poor eight-year-old girl had her intestines sucked out by sitting over the main drain. Oh, it's, and in fact, it was only a few years ago in Atlantic City, a girl drowned by getting her hair caught in the main drain. Well, to fix, now there's a law that prevents that from happening where you have to put a double main drain in separated by three feet. Well, I did that in the 70s, and I would make a big point. I says, listen, it's a $50 fix. Why in the world would anybody not tell you that you should put a double main drain in to prevent that from happening? So listen to this. So I created the pain with the fear of, oh, my goodness. But then I gave right. them the aspirin. The greater the pain, the more they'll pay for the aspirin. Well, I took that beta. So Makes I sense. Well, I started in B2C selling. Well, then when I converted to B2B, it was only a slight change presenting to a committee, all that. But it's still the same, what I call deficit questions. Deficit questions are questions that create deficit in the comfort level of the client. At one point in my career, 50% mm -hmm. of my income 
came from sitting in first class on an airplane. And that additional price of the first class ticket over coach, I attributed to marketing budget money, not to travel money. Because that's where I got the best ROI. Yeah. I'm sitting next to a CEO of a company with 1,000 employees. And I said, what is your engagement index and how is it trending? He says, well, what? now we're talking 20 years ago when that was a brand new word. Right. And he said, well, what is it? Just just like that backyard thing. Well, what is it? That's the perfect answer you want when you ask a question like that. I said, well, you know, McKenzie and Gallup together came up with this process to determine whether your employees are engaged. And right now it says in America, only 29% of your employees are trying to help you. 17% are actually trying to hurt you. And the other 54% are just showing up. So that means you have a thousand employees, 170 of them are trying to hurt you. Have you identified who they are? <laughs> and he's getting on, he's on a double scot from the flight attendant. He freaked out. So I got that business. So <laughs> it just, I just came many times. I get business from, I was sitting on a plane in 42 minutes. I sold a, a hundred thousand dollar contract of 42 minutes from Atlanta to Jacksonville. Sitting next to a guy, we got to chatting. He says, you know, I have to hire 10 people to get one good seller. I said, well, it's been my experience that it costs 100 grand each. He says, so you're telling me it costs you a million dollars to get one? Is it worth 100 grand to get nine out of 10? <laughs> By the time I got home, he had sent me an email and said, send me a contract. <laughs> That's 40 a minute flight. Oh, I love it. So people always so listen. I'll, I'll shut up in a minute because I get on. I get. I, I, I listen. I love this stuff. I, I'm so excited about what I do. I really just love it, and I'm trying to, at my old old age, to share with as many people as I can some of these techniques so that I hope that they get as lucky as I've gotten in my life. So. You know, multiple homes. I mean, it's just it's just been a, it's just been an unbelievable ride. I mean, I grew up poor. I'm rich, <laughs> and it all came from what I share. I share everything. I mean, I really share everything I can possibly share. So, uh, ask me anything you want. Go ahead. So, how did you change the hiring process so they got nine out of ten candidates as opposed to one out of ten? Well, the problem always in hiring is personal bias. You tend, people mm-hmm. tend to hire people they like, and people like people who are like themselves. So uh, people hire people that are in their own interest. Well, we've created a benchmark. We use three sciences for the benchmark, personality styles, motivators and values, and acumen, skills, and, and brain power. And we create a benchmark based upon the criteria of the job. Not what we believe the job should have. Right. Makes sense. We say if the job could talk, what does it say at once? So most people are familiar with DISC, and but the people really don't know how to use it. They don't understand it. But if you don't factor DISC into every sales strategy, you're wrong three out of four times. You would not sell Donald Trump and yep. Ben Carson the same way. Right? I mean, it, I mean, you, you Definitely you'd be all totally off base, but every company I go into does not alter their strategy or the people on the team based upon the personality style of the person they're trying to influence. 
So that, that's the very beginning part of it. Make sure you identify that person. So one third of our hiring equation and our benchmark is, of course, the disc profile. In the sales world, you know, the hunters and farmers. Hunters are to go out for the kill. They want to get the quick sale. The farmers are the ones who work on existing accounts and try and grow the business. Well, the hunters are 80% of hunters come from the DI combination, the dominant extrovert. So I mean, that's what the hunters are. Right. Going for the kill. That's what they do. So if I'm hunter, hiring for a hunter, why would I hire somebody that is the, uh, has the the person- analytical the personality of Jimmy Carter. Could you picture that? Jimmy Carter, the nicest human being on the planet, but I don't believe he could sell his way out of a paper bag. I mean, he's a nice guy, but he's a, he'd be a great farmer. He is a farmer. He'd be a great farmer, but he's not a, he doesn't have the personality. So why hire somebody that doesn't even have the right person, personality? Then acumen. One of the key things in selling is resiliency. I call it the RR factor, the rubber rear. Once you lose a deal, how quickly can you bounce right. back up? Because that probably more than any other skill, we, we measure resiliency in our assessment. We know how resilient you will be. And then values. We want people that are motivated by money and recognition. So once we can do that, and we will not interview anybody that doesn't meet the benchmark. The other thing that makes us wonderful is it's EEOC compliant, and my bias can't go into it because I don't know whether you're black, white, old, young, fat, skinny. I'm only looking at the assessment. Has n- And in fact, we right. actually print out the exact questions. So the exact questions are asked of every applicant, no, not deviated because of what do, what you look like. So it's it just, it just almost ironclad. And the uh, success of that benchmark that we create is just unbelievable. And then, so, so that's, that's how I did it. And, and we can virtually guarantee that, that that they're going to improve their Good. Hiring. So two last questions. So question one, all of what you've said in our conversation today, plus or minus has been common sense, but why is it so difficult for companies to do that? Why do they overcomplicate things or get stuck in their own way? Well, the problem that I run into so often is you have sales on one side and operations or the people that are delivering on the other side. Right. Operations wants to get involved in a sales process, which is the death of any sales organization. I, like one of my clients uh, actually sells doctors. In other words, they have 20,000 clinicians on their payroll and they run emergency rooms, emergency departments for over a thousand hospitals. And when I first went to them, they would tell me, you need a doctor to go on a sales call. I said, no, you don't. I don't need them. In fact, they're going to hurt me because doctors and operations people, they're trained to take pain away. They're trained to tell the client how they would fix their problem. The more you train and the more you tell them how, the less they need you. My process is 100%, 180 degrees away. I'm making, hit. look, the average person wants the client to feel better when they leave the first time, not worse. I want them to feel worse. I want them to think, be thinking, my God, if we don't hire this guy, we're going to be in deep trouble. 
So uh, my whole focus is to create pain, 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 the pain of making a mistake, the pain of outsourcing to the wrong individual. You know, there's so many ways. The pain of maybe you, if you pick the wrong person, you, you, Mr. Umar, who's the guy hiring me, if you make the wrong decision, you might lose your job. You make the right decision, you might get promoted. I have a guy, I can't tell you the company, but it, he said he chose me over a competitor. His two partners wanted the competitor. He sends me an email, Ray, I put my career in your hands. <laughs> Can he convince them to hire me? That was a few years ago. He was vice president, though all three of these guys were vice president. He is now the CEO. <laughs> so he put his nice. career in my hands and he's now the CEO. Now, here's something else. You nice. Reputation. I have not made an outbound phone call in 25 years. I get, I have all the business I can possibly handle with people calling me. That's kind of cool. You nice. do that by never overpromising, with high integrity, always maintain uh, confidentiality if somebody wants that. And that's when people call you. So whenever a somebody leaves and goes to another company, the first thing that most of them do is call me. Ray, I'm over at XYZ Company. I need you over here. Boom. And that's how all my business has come over the last 25 years. So. Brilliant. So one last question, Ray. What is a mental trick that you do or a process trick that allows you to be more productive or more successful? In this day and age, they call it a mind hack. What's a mind hack you use to... Well, actually, I, I, I'm more in the NLP world. I call it a mental anchor and it's something that's going to trigger an emotion in me. Yes. So when I want to be creative or I'm driving to an appointment, I put on doo-wop or beach music. That puts me in a totally different frame of mind. I mean, I just love it. It just it takes me back to my youth. And I think everybody has a favorite song. And, and when that favorite song evokes an emotion in you, and why wouldn't you want that feeling when you go into an appointment? Here's the main problem. People worry about what if I make a mistake? What if I do wrong? I'm always assuming that the client is going to buy from me. That's my visualization, not the other way around. Not, oh my God, what am I going to do if I get a price objection? I never worry about that stuff. Here's what else I've found. People tend to get the objection they fear the most. Because as they're approaching that objection, their anxiety rises and they, tr and they pour it into the, to the person on the other side of the table. So if you're afraid of the price objection, I've had so many people, they choke on quoting the price to you. And you can tell them, you can watch them getting nervous as they're approaching telling you the price. I have the time I got to pull it out. Of, Wait, just tell me the damn price. I mean, it's amazing watching it. So the first sale has to be to yourself. You have to believe in what you're selling. That ice to Eskimos is crap. That is not true. You have to believe in what you're selling. So the first sale must be to yourself. Let me give you one last thing. Brilliant. There's 15 steps. Yes. There's an article that uh, Jeffrey Gittimer wrote about me. Actually, he wrote a lot of them about me. But one was what I called my five questions to sale. Even though there's, there's mm -hmm. only five questions you have to answer to get to a sale, it might take 15 steps to get the answer to those five questions. But here they are. What is your pain or problem? So I want to get the definition. What's your, what's your problem? 
What criteria are you going to use to choose who solves the problem? Question number three, what is your definition of those criteria? Question number four, why are those, those your criteria? Why are those particular criteria so important to you? And then the fifth question, this is, by the way, in all 30 minutes that you talked about. If I can bring you a solution yes. that match all those criteria, well, I have earned your business. Boom. Done. Already framed up, ready to go. Ray, you are a master of your craft. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I got a gift for you. If anybody wants... Oh, my, good. Well, my son just told me that we'll offer half price to anybody that wants to get my Sales Funnel University if they go to salesfunnel.com and put in no limit because we're going to create a special coupon for your group of no limit people. Nice. Thank you for doing that. Okay, my friend. Dear listeners and viewers, go sign up. Take care, Ray. Thanks. Well, how do we do, kiddo? If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. Thank you.